This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be with you today and uh, excited later this week. We will finally get to talk to Noah Dingley. Noah says segment, uh, catch up with him, our great producer, who's got some big news uh, over his vacation. We'll talk with that, and we'll, we'll talk with him about that and a lot more. A couple great interviews today. Craig Shirley, who wrote a book called April 1945, The Hinge of History. Very interesting book. He's a great historian to uh, to spend some time reading. He's written a book, one of my favorites, on the 1976 Ronald Reagan campaign for president. Fascinating book about basically how that campaign laid the groundwork for uh, the 1980 win. Very interesting. And um, we also will get an update from Marina Hoffman about what's happening in Canada. And so let me, I, I'm going to tie these together, what you need to know today. And please visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com and sign up for the daily email, the daily wink, what you need to know. But today's uh, comment, today's wink is a question of what the people want. What the people want and how in the modern era, when we know what the people want, the politicians will follow usually. And I want to start with America. In America, the people, we the people have decided in large numbers that we are sick of all the mandates. We're sick of being lied to by the uh, the people who say they're the experts on science. We're, so, we're tired of being misled by big tech or big media who try to tell us what to believe. We're tired of all of it. And we, the people who now recognize that whatever the early versions of the disease were, the Omicron variant is not deadly. And it's not even that potent in many ways. And so... We, the people, have decided in every place, including the bluest of the blue, New York and California, that we, the people, want the mandates gone. We want no more masks. We want no more of these rules. And kicking and screaming, a few of the blue states are being dragged toward this, but most are giving in. Most are just saying, okay. In Washington, D.C., the mayor, who's been very, very aggressive in enforcing all kinds of mandates and being, you know, the first leader, the biggest leader on those things, mandates and, and restrictions on businesses, she's given in. And I don't think she's given in because she changed her mind. I think she's given in because she can see the what we the people want. Now, you can call that politics, public opinion, whatever you want, but that's real. And that's changed where we are. We, we are now in our republic the Democrat Republic we have, we're in a position, partly from social media and partly from just the way people feel, that the, we the people can make ourselves heard. And in spite of sometimes the fake news and big tech and the narrative machine, which seems to be, you know, usually against. So anyways, that's my observation. In blue places and red places and in purple places, mandates are going away. Mask mandates, uh, the requirements for businesses, all these things. In Canada, something of the opposite has happened, right? And you say, why? Well, I just mentioned we're a democratic republic. In Canada, they are a socialist parliamentarian. They're a parliamentarian system that leans to the left, socialist. More specifically, socialist than uh, other places. You know, other than, uh, you know they, they do have uh, a parliamentarian democracy, but they are specifically socialist in a bunch of their institutions. Much more than America, of course, but but even more than you know their their healthcare system and, and some of the ways they manage things, and so what we watched it looks like is the people of Canada had enough of the mandates that the people of Canada by large numbers I don't know where the percentages but usually when you see a a vocal majority of people 
in a way that is so uh, uh, um, adamant that it changes the behavior of the politicians. In Canada, it didn't. The opposite is true. In Canada, the truckers and, and thousands and thousands of citizens joined them and, and tens of thousands gave them money and all this kind of stuff. The response of the government was to shut them down, dramatically so. Invoke emergency powers, use the police to arrest people, detain people, use the power of uh, businesses to shut off bank accounts, uh, use the power of uh, public safety to tow uh, trucks out of the way, all that stuff. Dramatic decision that the people wanted one thing. It seemed, again, I don't have a pulse on every person in Canada, but the the perception uh, of people that know and people you talk to is that the truckers represented a frustration that a lot of people had. And the response of the government was the opposite of what I, well, not the opposite, was, you know, uh, uh, diametrically opposed to what we're seeing in America. Now, in America, we did see uh, use of government to demand certain things, mandates, shutdowns and all that. But we've sort of come back off of the liberty. You know, someone used the phrase clawback. We've clawbacked our liberty pretty quickly. It does look like, and we'll talk to Marina Hoffman about this. She's a Canadian. Her family's up in Canada. Her father's actually a pastor and a trucker. And we'll talk. We'll ask her this question. But it feels like the uh, the Canadian government has... Double down in my, in my the way I describe it is say this in America. We had way too much power being taken by bureaucrats, but we're clawing it back rapidly in Canada. They had way too much uh, uh, government taken by power taken by bureaucrats and they're not giving it up. And so that sort of contrast seems striking and it ought to motivate us. I think I asked this question yesterday to one of our guests. I was saying, you know, how do you keep the trend line going? Because a lot of times what happens with power is power moves to, say, takes 10 feet and you can only get it to move back a foot. So you're still lost nine feet. How do you get it back 10 feet is the question, right? And so watching this contrast between Canada and America should give you pause about why. What was the tipping point in Canada? Is it the parliamentary system? Is it the socialist system? It doesn't look like Trudeau is going to pay. I don't think there's a way for the uh, uh, parliamentarian elections to be called except by him. I don't think he's going to call it on himself because I don't think he could win. So he just won, I know, last year. So he's got a term that he can stay in power and continue this. Which brings me to the last part of this. Uh, My observations. In the modern era, although it is true that you can't trust the news can't trust big tech. The narrative machine is dominant. We do have a sense and we do have sort of the ability to hear from the people. We, the people in America, the Canadian truckers and others. Why is it that we've heard nothing? I have seen nothing specific. Now, admittedly, my searches were, uh, uh, you know, uh, not the most in-depth ever, but I did some searching online. We've heard nothing about what the Ukrainian people want. We've heard nothing about what the Russian people want. I heard a commentator say the Russian people don't support Putin. Is that true? How do we how do we measure this? I'm not sure we can measure it, but we certainly get a sense of what the Canadian people want. And the media doesn't want us to think that the Canadian people should want more freedom. But we got that sense. 
But more specifically, in the last 36 hours, we've heard about these two breakaway republics. And the images on TV, the few things I've seen, actually the images on video, the few images I've seen, have shown people in the streets in these towns, uh, in these breakaway republics, they called them, uh, with Russian flags celebrating. Do we know what these people want? Does anybody have a sense of what these people want? Because am I supposed to only trust NATO or the EU or even America, intelligence community, in describing what the sovereign is that must be protected? Is it possible? I don't even know. But I'm, I'm asking why we don't know. What is it that we're missing in our, in our media system, our information system that we don't know? Is it possible that people in these breakaway republics that they described actually do want to be part of Russia? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'm not, I'm not defending or excusing anything yet. I'm just asking the question. And I'm pointing out to you that on that question, it feels like the media, big tech and everybody else, has been able to control how and what we see or maybe just not focused on what I'm asking. In Canada, we have a real sense that the people are upset. You know, the, the truckers' convoy has been broken up, but there are now rallies that are going to be held. And we've seen the galvanizing effect measured in things like massive uh, giving, you know, millions of dollars and small donations and things that give you a sense that the people, the energy was on the f- side of that liberty movement. Not true or not known or not understood or not described in Ukraine. And again, my point would be, We're supposed to trust Biden. We're supposed to trust the intelligence community. I don't distrust them automatically, but I don't trust them automatically anymore. I I don't see any reason to believe, especially when Joe Biden goes out, I don't know, a day ago and says gas prices are going to go up and food prices are going to go up because of the problems in the Ukraine. They've already gone up. They may go up more. But we've got a real problem with understanding what's going on because we can't trust uh, what we're hearing and seeing. So that's my observation about Canada and America to watch that closely and then a little pull in of the Ukraine there. Let's take a break and we'll come back. Don't forget that what you need to know is over at ProAmericaReport.com. Back in a moment, Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Be right back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. You know, I actually, overnight, as I was getting ready for this interview, I kind of, it's the wrong word, Marina, to say I'm dreading it. It's not that I'm dreading it. It's that I'm worried about what's actually happening. We're going to talk with, we're talking with Marina Hoffman-Willard, and she is an author, uh, a teacher. She also happens to be Canadian. Her family is uh, up in Canada. And the last, when we talked to her last week, uh, Dr. Hoffman's family was going to head up to Ottawa. So, uh, first of all, how's your family, Marina? How's your family doing? Uh, how, what, what's going on with their uh, sort of uh, life and, and role in this? Yeah, thanks, Ed. I can certainly relate to the sense of dread that you feel. I, too, feel a sense of just sickness to know that my own family experienced tear gas. I mean, that's incredible. They were just walking along the streets peacefully. And to think that they were coughing and their eyes hurt because of what's happening and the things they witnessed were upsetting. And then these threats over their their entire lives, Ed, to say that they could go in jail and their accounts could be frozen and that they're being surveilled. I watched everything that they're putting on social media. This is not the Canada I grew up in. And to know that it's just north of us and we are a step away from that ourselves is truly sickening. 
what uh, before we get into some more details of where we are with this uh the convoy and whether it's sort of over I, and i don't want to get to that yet but um what is it about uh this both that got the truckers to the point that they did this and the public joined them and then i, I know you must be surprised but uh, is it out of most americans think it's out of character uh, for the Canadian government to do this. It feels like uh, like an out-of-body experience that somebody went into Canada and took over the government and did this because you just don't, you feel like the Canadians are kind of more mellow and they're, you know, they're, they're just not, this is not their thing. I, is it really out of character? And, and are you, I mean, I know you're surprised how fast it happened, but did we miss that Canada's a, a socialist country that's been creeping this way and this is just the next step? Yeah, I think we got here because there's been two years of restrictions on everything imaginable in Canada. And I think there are the major things that have been very upsetting, like people losing their jobs and forced to put something in their body when they don't even know all the ingredients in it. But then there's also the day-to-day struggles, the masking of their children, the sense that the police will be after them and they'll have massive fines if they resist in any ways. And and then Ed, simply not able to gather as a family for Christmas. You know, there was this ridiculous rule of having two children. Well, what if you have three children? And in my family, we do have three children, right? I'm not living there. Who, which right. two daughters should my mom pick? So it's gone totally absurd from the massive levels of their freedom to have a livelihood and make money for their family into the details of their day-to-day, which has been controlled. And, you know, I think what shocks us is that it does seem so out of character. We hear these things could happen, but they always feel so far away. And yet I think when we stop and reflect now on what Trudeau has done for two years, we can say it's not something new. It's really just another step of the control. And maybe, Ed, really it's coming to light what has been here all along, certainly on the front of surveillance. Uh, well, that's right. I mean, that's right. That, that in some ways, um, we all should probably take a deep breath and admit that we all sort of cr- creeping. It wasn't really creeping, sweeping, uh, loss of privacy was real, but the, but the use of power and the use of police power, uh, in Canada, the images of people being, you know, uh, being restrained and sort of beaten by four or five cops, you know, when they're clearly in a sort of, uh, sort of, uh, a surrender position. I mean, again, I, I didn't, I, I shouldn't do this, but I'm from Missouri. And when when Michael Brown famously was, you know, made a hero by saying, hands up, don't shoot. That one man up there had his hands up. He had his hands up when he was being pushed and, and nobody's saying a word. Now, happily, he wasn't killed. So I'm, I, I don't want to overstate the uh, but, you know, Michael Brown did a lot more than just put his hands up. But but but, hey, but, but we're talking again with uh, Dr. Marina Hoffman. She's also the author of uh, a book, uh, Women in Bible, Small Group Bible Study and uh, women in the Bible dot info is her website, where there's a lot she does. Um, so. Back for a second to the actual the convoy, and I know I read your updates, uh, but and you're a sort of optimistic, encouraging. You know, don't give up. But is the actual um, uh, organized um, uh, convoy is that broken up now? I mean, it, it, can we say again? We have so little basic coverage in America on the news media. They're covering everything else in the world, but it, it, so we don't even know. Is the trucker convoy sort of broken up? Is it is it done with? Yeah. Well. 
And the positive is that right now this movement is so much bigger than the convoy of trucks that were in Ottawa. Now, they chose to leave. They were in part bullied, but the organizers decided that because people were literally getting hurt, and we all saw those crazy videos of the horses and all the images that you talk about. So the organizers said people, innocent people are getting hurt. We are going to leave the city, but they did not head back to BC and Alberta. They are just outside of the city, and even Trudeau used that as a reason to keep the emergency act in place. But way beyond the truckers, Ed, is is that people are still doing huge protest rallies, gathering in all the major cities across Canada every day. I was just looking at a lot of the images on social media from yesterday. So how beautiful that it's transitioned from just the truckers starting out in BC a month ago to now being all kinds of people across Canada and especially families and parents concerned for the future of their kids. So I don't think it's letting up at all. And there's huge rallies planned for the weekend. And everyone I know is will be attending. Uh, again, we're talking with uh, Dr. Marina Hoffman about uh, her, her family is, uh, she's from Canada and her family's up there in Canada. Um, is the, uh, is there any political break in this? I know that the day, a day after uh, Trudeau uh, invoked um, one of it or gave one of his speeches and, and was using police powers, there was a vote in the parliament. Um, and I, I thought to myself, well, in a parliamentarian government, you got to cobble together the majority. You don't, it's not like America where it's, you know, two parties and one's going to have the, the majority vote. And on certain hard votes, they probably can hold their people. Uh, but, but he's held it together. Trudeau is he, uh, when he spoke last week, I thought his career was over. He looked like a broken, stumbling politician, but he's not out of office. Is, is there any sense that he could be that there could be snap elections that anything could happen? Yeah, there's different paths forward. So when the, when the majority of politicians and it was a significant majority all signed with Trudeau and confirmed this emergency act, I think that door is closed. I don't have hope that a vast number of politicians are going to cross the line and go against Trudeau. But there's the court system and the premier of Alberta, which is like our, our governor, he has challenged uh, this decision saying that there's no basis for causing um, an emergency act, especially since Ottawa is not even occupied at the moment. So he'll challenge it. And I think there's two other forces at play, Ed, the Canadians themselves, the mass numbers that continue to come out in support of ending all the mandates, and then the eyes of the world. And right now, some people, there's some pressure from around the world. But if he continues to go on and we see images like that of the police officers, again, hopefully the world will also pressure Trudeau into backing down. Mm. It is, um, I, you know, you just wonder, I mean, again, whether the sometimes the, the political actions of one leader like Trudeau, it, it, others will pay the price in other parts of the world. Uh, now, one more quick comment. Again, we're talking with Dr. Marina Hoffman uh, from you on uh, Trudeau is dramatically, you know, proclaiming his solidarity with Ukraine and uh, how we have to watch for oppression in the Ukraine, et cetera, et cetera. You must shake your head. Right. And just get, roll your almost roll your eyes. And, and if it wasn't so tragic, it would be funny. Yeah. And it's one thing after another. He see, he just seems to tell whatever line he wants, but his true colors and his true motivations are coming out in his actions against Canadians. So he can say all these lovely things about the world and wanting world peace and wanting people to be able to stand up for their freedoms and protest. And he supported many protests in Canada. And yet this one, which is the most peaceful protest in Canadian history and the biggest one, without a doubt, and he stands against them because really they're against him. 
Uh, last question. We're almost out of time. Dr. Marina Hoffman, I'll put up on social media. Follow her. Get signed up on her email list. It's a very helpful uh, update. Uh, the, the the one I got was a couple days ago, uh, auto update. And uh, and um, uh, as I said, she's got sources and friends and family up there. Um, how does it turn out? How does this turn out for Canada? In America, it feels like the politicians are running for the cover of, of getting away from mandates, at least when it comes to masks and things. Maybe we'll have a fight over vaccine passports and vaccine requirements but it looks like the it looks like the people we the people have demanded more freedom and even the democrats are starting to understand they've got to move that way how does it turn out in canada yeah i think so i think that we have to focus on the progress that has been made so far and the truth about trudeau and all the liberals who sided with them and the violent images we saw have spoke volumes to people that have not been awake not truly unwoken and just not paying attention to what's going on in the world, not caring about their rights and freedom. And then I think the progress that's been made around the world. I mean, we have a convoy here in the U.S. scheduled for March. So it's made a world impact. But now Canadians need to keep protesting themselves, but hope and hope that the premier can make advances through the court system to end this emergency act. Mm. All right. Marina Hoffman, thank you for the time for with us and uh, all you're doing. We appreciate it. We'll talk again very soon. Thank you. All right, everybody. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Uh, my old friend, Craig Shirley, who is a uh, prolific writer and has uh, has written his historic history books about all kinds of things. I often mention, uh, Craig, on the air that one of the ones that was so uh, I can still remember chapters of it was the book on the 1976 Reagan campaign, which you had access to, you know, lots of the inside uh, uh, notes and things. It was extraordinary. But his newest book, Craig Shirley's newest book, which came out just a couple of days ago, February 22nd, is called April 1945. The subtitle is what I want to talk to you about. It's called The Hinge of History, April 1945, The Hinge of History. And Craig Shirley was out at the Reagan Library to uh, launch that book. And I'm sure it'll be a bestseller and people will be paying attention. Uh, so welcome back, Craig. How are you? Thank you, Ed. Thank, I'm, I'm tired, quite honestly. I bet. I'm, I'm, it's great to be with you. I appreciate it. Thank well, you. I, you told me you told me about this book, I think, about a year ago. So I knew it was coming and, I, and I'm excited about it. Uh, uh, pausing. You, you are now... I don't know. You, you're not a professional historian, but you are certainly a historian. But you have been a professional, you know, public affairs guy. You've been a leader right. of different organizations. What right. makes you write? Uh, because it keeps me off the streets and out of the pool halls. I've always been a writer, uh, but only uh, about 20 years ago, I, my public affairs firm had a uh, contract, a PR contract with Thomas Nelson Publishing. We were, we were doing Catherine Harris's books and yeah. Luke books and doing the marketing for them. And uh, the uh, president of the company, uh, we had a standing order with the president of the company. If we ever had a good idea for a book, we were to pass it along. Huh. So I called him one day and I, I said, you know, nobody's ever done a book on the 1976 campaign. Yeah. Megan Gerald Ford. Uh, Mrs. Reagan always said it was the most exciting of of, his, of, of, of the president's five campaigns. Uh, it certainly changed the Republican Party forever, changed national politics forever. Uh, it was interesting. It, was, it went down to the wire. Uh, it was only decided by a few delegate votes. 
it was the most competitive presidential campaign uh, since 1912 between uh, Taft and uh, and uh, Roosevelt. And uh, so, so he told me, he said, I, I, I pitched the idea. He liked it very much. He said, oh, find me a writer, please. So I went, I scoured Washington. I asked columnists and political operatives and this person and that person. And everybody had a reason why they couldn't do it. They were too busy. They weren't interested. They didn't know the subject matter, blah, 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 blah. So about a month later, I report this back to the president, Thomas Nelson. And he told me six little words that changed my life forever. He said to me, he says, well, why don't you write it? Ah, wow. Wow. And, well, and, and, that, and, and that book, by the way, is the one I love. Reagan's Revolution, the untold story of the campaign that started it all. Yes, yes, An yes. extraordinary book. Extraordinary. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Ed. Um, three, he said, it says to me, he says, I'll need to see a treatment. And I, and I said, what's a treatment? <laughs> and, he, and, he, and, he, and he giggled. And he says, look, I'll send you some templates and you can use them as, to, to write a treatment. You'll understand when you see them. So I saw, I got them. I wrote the template. I sent it back. And three, three weeks later, I got a contract and a very large check for an advance. Wow. Uh, so the good news is uh, I got a contract and a check. The bad news is I got a contract and a check. <laughs> and you had to write a book. Uh, 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 we're talking with Craig Shirley. And again, his uh, his newest book, which is just out, uh, is uh, going to be a huge hit. It's April 1945. The subtitle or the, the is called The Hinge of History. I want to get to that. Another book, by the way, before I, I go off and, and talk about December 1941, another one of your books, I do want to mention that. Uh, we're talking Craig Shirley. These books that he writes, he's he's able to pick these topics that make a, you just stop when you're reading them or listening. I listened to the book uh, Mary Ball Washington, Craig, the untold story of George Washington's mother. And yes. when I was done, I knew more about Washington than all those 17 other books that I'm told I suppose I should had to read on Washington. So it was extraordinary. So uh, but this book, here's what I want to ask you. When I read December 1941 by Craig Shirley and when I read a book that I was put onto by Tracy Campbell called The Year of Peril, America in 1942. He wrote a book yes. on 42. So you wrote on December 1941. He basically yes. said, yeah, that was the big pivot. And then 42 was key. But how do you and part of me says the reason why we need Craig Shirley to write books is I trust him more than I trust other historians, because uh, Tracy Campbell, when I read it, is pretty persuasive that 42 was itself a hinge of history. Is yes, every is every year a hinge of history, though? No, no, no. There, 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 there are highs and lows to American history. You know, Mark Twain once said that history does not does not repeat itself, but it often rhymes. And it's funny, but I think it also has the uh, the tinge of, of truth to it too. Is is that there there are quiet periods and there there are earth shaking periods. Nineteen uh, April, nineteen forty five was, you know, changed everything, uh, you know, or, or continued the change of everything in America. We went from an isolationist country to an internationalist country. Mm -hmm. We helped found the United Nations, you know, for, for good or evil or good or wrong. I mean, it's mostly a forum for invective now, but it started with the best of intentions for the nations of the world to, uh, talk, to at least talk to each other. And there's nothing wrong with, with talking and negotiating. That's that's what we're for, civilized human beings. Uh, it, 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 you know, um, 
I've lost my train of thought, except that the government changed our view of the government, you know, uh, our view of uh, Washington. You know, if, if we, if Russia right now, uh, if Russia was invading uh, uh, Ukraine in 1936, we're an isolationist country. We wouldn't have given uh, a hank about it. We wouldn't yeah. have paid any attention to it whatsoever. Right. The legacy of World War II like it or not, is that we are an internationalist country, which is why we're meddling around in the affairs in Europe. Uh, uh, you know, Reagan tried to bring it back a little bit. He, he believed in, you know, peace or strength, he, he, indeed, but he also believed in projecting American power to, to defend American interests. And I perceive no American interests uh, in uh, Ukraine anyway. Of course, Biden's foreign policy is screwed up anyway, because we have we had an interest in Afghanistan, and he pulled us out. We don't have an interest in in Ukraine, and he wants to send us in. It makes no sense whatsoever. But you know, I think the history will record him as kind of the, the janitor for uh, for Mount Rushmore or something. You know? <laughs> uh, we're talking with Craig Shirley. His newest book is April nineteen forty five, The Hinge of History. I should say, uh, remind people it is published by Thomas Nelson. Uh, came out just a few days ago, February twenty second, and uh, available everywhere you get books. And of course, Craig Shirley, well known for uh, leading in public affairs in Washington politics and all, but uh, and and is the chairman of uh, the uh, Shirley and Bannister Public Affairs uh, firm. Uh, Craig, it, but why? Why, why is it? Why is April the hinge? Then your 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 point is it's because after that everything changed. Uh, or well, I mean, it, yeah, yes, Ed. But but just in that month, uh, it is every day is a red letter day. Franklin Roosevelt dies unexpectedly, and that is an earth shattering event in and of itself. Right. And uh, Adolf Hitler commits suicide, and that is the beginning of the end of the, of the Nazi regime. Mussolini is taken down by the mob uh, and his mistress. Uh, and that is the beginning of the end of uh, Italian fascism. Auschwitz is discovered. Dachau mm. is discovered. Uh, mm. The fight for Okinawa, which is the final staging island for the invasion of Japan, which was planned then by MacArthur until the advent of the atomic bomb. Uh, but we were planning, we needed uh, Okinawa to use as a staging uh, platform for, for the uh, final invasion of uh, Japan. The war in, in, in the Pacific was projected to take another two or three years because it would take that long to uh, subdue all of the mainland of uh, Japan. But, uh, but, but Truman uh, short-circuited it with the dropping of the Nagasaki and uh, Hiroshima bombs. Mm. Um, so, and, and what's, how does Truman, you know, there's been a lot, I think David McCulloch uh, successfully, um, if I can say in, in the tradition you, 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 that you're in. Yeah. And, and he, he sort of, um, he wrote a book in a way that you could relate to what was happening in, in yes. that guy's life and understand it. It was, uh, if there was a, I, I'm not, I'm not for the cause of, of sainthood for, for Truman, but he did come out of it. And you said, that's a real man. He had real ambition, real interests, real this, real that. It was a, it was a humanizing, but also a sort of glorifying book. Um, but yes. was Truman that's that in some ways now that's how we believe he was. But in other ways, at the time, he wasn't just in over his head. It, it was like he was down the hall and someone knocked on the door and said, uh, you're president now. He hadn't been in the yeah. loop on most. He hadn't been in the loop on most things. You know, you yes. talk about Biden seems clueless. Truman, by definition, he was kept in the dark by FDRs. I mean, literally. He, he was. He, he had no idea about the atomic bomb being developed 
until after he became president. Uh, but that's kind of the way that FBI that, uh, operated. He operated kind of the uh, as the hub or the center of the spokes of the wheel and had men, uh, civilians like Cordell Hall and, uh, and others and Harold Nickies and others operating for him domestically. And then he had uh, many, many generals operating for him uh, internationally, you know, MacArthur yeah. and Eisenhower and Nimitz and King and uh, Marshall and uh, Omar Bradley and so many others, so many other marvelous uh, military leaders. Uh, you you have to go back to the days of uh, Julius Caesar, Agrippa, Mark Antony hmm. to find right. such superb military leadership. Hmm. Um, uh, one one last, we're running out of time. Again, we're we're uh, visiting with Craig Shirley, the author, in his newest book, April 1945, The Hinge of History. Uh, Thomas Nelson uh, published it. Uh, you had to pick a month. I mean, I know I, I hear your argument that this was the hinge. In April, right. is there one day? That you would say that's the key day of April, nineteen forty-five. Uh, uh, the day the, I, I still said the day FDR died. Yeah, was the key day in April. I think it was uh, April twelfth, uh, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was in, in essence. You know, you have to. We have to put it in context. He was essentially the president of the world during mm-hmm. World War II. The United States was not only supplying. Much of the men and material to uh, fight Japan and and Nazi Germany, but also supplying Great Britain and also supplying uh, 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 the Soviet Union. Uh, And, you know, uh, uh, so he was, you know, of the big three, meaning FDR, Churchill and uh, Stalin, he was the most senior partner. Mm. Uh, Then Winston Churchill and then Stalin was kind of a JV partner. He He was supplying men. Uh, but he was, but he, but the communist state obviously didn't uh, work as far as manufacturing material. It failed, so he had to rely on uh, the United States, the capitalist mm-hmm. state, to produce the uh, men and produce the material to supply his uh, his his troops uh, in the fight against uh, Nazi Germany. All right. Well, I think uh, I, I people, people have heard enough now. We're talking to Craig Shirley about your book, Craig. They need to read it. So April 1945, The Hinge of History, available everywhere books are sold. Again, uh, Thomas Nelson is the uh, publisher. Thanks, Craig. And uh, keep writing. We appreciate it. Keep you off the streets and out of the pool halls. So that's good, yes. too. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I thank you. And thank you very, very much. All right. We'll take a break, everybody. We'll come back. I'll put it all up on social media, including those earlier books I mentioned that I like so much, too, uh, from Craig Shirley. So we'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Make no mistake, the second space race is officially here and it's on. This time the stakes are higher than ever. China has announced its intention to send a manned mission to the moon by 2026. And Americans have every reason to believe that they will follow through on this promise. And it's no coincidence that the Chinese announced this plan shortly after America announced a postponement of our own plans to return to the moon. NASA's Artemis program was scheduled to land on the moon in 2028. Under President Donald Trump's leadership, the goal was set to push the launch date up to 2024. In true D.C. fashion, President Joe Biden's administration pushed the launch date further than ever back to 2030. And that's when the Chinese stepped in with their new goal of 2026. The U.S. space program hasn't been completely stagnant. 
We managed to spend $200 million in 10 years developing the world's first gender-neutral spacesuit, for whatever that's worth. Yet one can only wonder exactly how long it will take to get back to the moon if we need 10 years just to make a spacesuit. What happened to American ingenuity? What most people don't understand is that the race to the moon is about far more than bragging rights. This is more than just a Chinese propaganda campaign. President Trump wisely launched the U.S. Space Force as its own branch of the U.S. Armed Forces because he understood the simple truth that space is the new frontier in which military conflicts will be decided. China and Russia have been developing key anti-satellite technology for decades, even openly conducting tests to flex their power in space. The United States would be foolish to ignore these power moves. From weather to communication to geolocation, so many critical American interests are based in space. A Chinese threat to these assets would be a devastating blow to our ability to defend ourselves. Americans need to wake up to the emerging second space race and renew our motivation to win it. The power struggle with communist China is far from over. And as one commentator aptly put it, space is the ultimate strategic high ground. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. America is safe only when America is strong. Our national defense requires the most modern technology and best-trained soldiers, and there should be no social politics or idle threats coming out of Washington. At phyllisschlafly.com, we take this work very seriously. Please visit phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And hey, um, I got one. We only have a few minutes again here at the end of the program. And I got an email from one of our listeners, John, John from Missouri. And uh, John said to me, Ed, you got to get the word out again about becoming a committee man, a precinct captain, getting involved at the local level in the Republican Party. And let me just tell you, there is a website, precinctstrategy.com, precinctstrategy.com. If you go there, uh, we've had the, the host of that site on the program a couple times. It's a very good site for understanding why it matters to be a precinct captain. Dan Schultz is the guy who runs that site. He's got information on all the different site, excuse me, all the different states. But in Missouri, for example, my friend John emailed and said, hey, you got to register to be a committee man now because you have to actually run for it. It's a simple process. But th- what is available on that website with Dan Schultz, again, is a very important resource to go and find out how you can become a committee man in the Republican Party. Now, let me say, for the purposes of people that don't want the Republican party. If you have another party that you think is conservative, that holds up to the ideals that you think is important for the country in the future, go ahead and sign up. I don't see it. The Libertarian Party, the Constitution Party, they're not really alternatives now. And certainly the Democrat Party has gotten far afield. So if you go again and go to precinctstrategy.com, precinctstrategy.com, I think you will be uh, rewarded to see what's going on. And look, I tell people, check it out. Go and find out. It it may take 10 minutes to uh, sign up to be a committee man. Uh, There are thousands, literally thousands of vacancies, and you just say, I'll be one, and you get to be one. 
And at the local level, you'll get to do the things that you probably should be doing anyway. You can be a, a poll judge. You can be a judge of the elections, you, except you'll have the authority of being within the party for the purposes of making, uh, you know, getting access. And that helps. That does help. You know, it gives you sort of standing to push back into it. So, again, precinctstrategy.com, precinctstrategy.com. Sign up to be a committee man, a committee woman, a precinct captain. Find some way to get into the system where it's available and make a difference. What I'll do next week, I'll have Dan Schultz back on the program, too. We'll talk about this. Uh, but I wanted to do that because one of our listeners, uh, as I mentioned, John from Missouri, uh, emailed and said, hey, now is the time where you got to get signed up. So go to your state, go to precinctstrategy.com, find out in your state what the deal is, and get signed up. Okay, we'll have more about that in the next week or so. Uh, thank you, as always, to our great producer, Noah Dingley uh, does a great job. Thank you to our associate producer, Joanna Spilger out of St. Louis. We will be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Please visit ProAmericaReport.com and stay tuned tomorrow. We'll be, we'll be back then. Ed Martin, Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego.